too. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Janie Podcast. I'm Eddie Melfi. With me, as always, Jacob Hers. Say hello, Jacob. Howdy, Jacob. Oh. Oh, the little, little swisheroo there. Oh, little southern, little country zest. Yeah, oh, yeah. like that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, today is another special day as we have another guest. And guess who that may be? Although you, the viewers at home, may not even know besides us, the hosts and the guests, of course. It is Matthew Zatolo. Say hello, Matt. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, glad to be here. Ooh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is going to be a spicy podcast. <laughs> so should we, give, should we give the background on how we know Matthew? Yes, we shall. Oh, yes. All right, Jacob. Lead, oh. Lead the so chart. I met Matt at our previous guest Griffith's birthday party. Well, and a very mm-hmm. fond memory I have is mm-hmm. I was in the trunk of a car with this other kid whose name was also Matt. Yeah. And then yeah. Matt DiTolo was in front of me and he was like, dude, are you okay back there? And oh, I'm like, yeah, I, I yeah. Was really concerned. I mean, the guy was literally kicking you. Like he was losing his mind. <laughs> I really don't remember this happening. All I remember the takeaway from that birthday party was, huh, Matt's going to Stanford high. I guess I'll see him next year. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, while you weren't getting kicked by a guy in the trunk, we got along pretty well. Uh, Oh yeah. Place. yeah. And then I think every year in high school after that we were in a class together. What? Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah, you were the only guy in high school that I've had a class with for like all four years. All four like, years, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I actually I think might have been like more than one for like at least two of the years. Like I, I senior definitely. year, we, we had like three or four classes together. It I think was like we had three. Uh English Math. Math, yeah. And then uh, journalism? Oh, wait. No, no, no. No, I was in period one. Yeah, I was in... I was in... Uh, Three, six... I think we almost were in the same physics class, but then there was a whole teacher malfunction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just yeah. had physics at the same time. Yeah. Um... What, what I took away from that was Jacob got kicked in the trunk by another Matt... Yeah. I, I genuinely have no recollection of what happened there. I just, I'm just always reminded that I was in the trunk. And yeah, I know it was a lack of space. I mean, honestly, Griffith's parents should have, you know, foreseen all, all us middle schoolers. Like, there were like eight of us. We were going mm-hmm. to one car. <laughs> Y'all middle schoolers are crazy. We were. Yeah. Uh, would not recommend middle school. Worst time of your kid's life. Um, I, oh my god, I don't remember the first time I met you, Matt. Um, well, we were all in uh, biology and geometry sophomore year. Yeah. I, yeah. I, think, I was I think, also in history with Eddie. Yes. Miss Clark. That's true. Mo- was it Modern World History? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh God! You know, I think that's like the first time we bonded was in that class because yeah, of we really bonded over not being interested in the history of Persian warfare or something like that. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's going to help. It's going to help me when I'm uh, doing some astrophysical research on like <laughs> Venus or something. You know, just hmm, what did the Persians do to the uh, the Seljuk Turks again? That's very true. If you start a civilization on uh, Venus, you could theoretically approach it the same way the Persians did. 
Well, the problem is uh, the surface temperature of Venus is 900 degrees. So uh, uh, that'll do I it. Mean, you, could, you could clean uh, an oven on there, I guess. That's, that's the only thing you can do, assuming the oven doesn't melt. Jacob, you dummy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I know all the other planets. This is Venus I slip up on. All right. Question for you guys. How many oh. planets are in the uh, solar system? Bro. Neil deGrasse Tyson Black. kicked Pluto out. Yeah. No, as it should be. I mean, oh. it hasn't cleared, you know, its neighboring orbit. That's one of the requirements. And we have discovered several other bodies in this uh, solar system that are much larger than Pluto, but aren't considered planets. I mean, Ceres and uh, Ares, both larger than Pluto, but they're only considered dwarf planets. I mean, it's, it was really just the novelty of finding Pluto, because Pluto was the first dwarf planet found in our solar system. So that's why mm. astronomers give any significance to Pluto at all, really. It's really just happens to be one of many dwarf planets hanging around. Wait, so how many planets are in our solar system? Eight, Officially eight. Yes. How many? Dwarf planets, uh, eight uh, normal planets. Four of them terrestrial, you know, uh, Mer- Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and then four of them uh, Jovian or gas giants, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. <laughs> you could call it Uranus. I don't care. <laughs> Bro, nothing wrong with Uranus. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I, I use the, uh, what is it, the acronym? Or it, it's like the my very energetic mother just sat upon needles, or like it's something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, actually, I think that's something to do with pizza. Well, look, I thought pizza was the end. Because yeah, Pluto. yeah. If, if you if you include Pluto, then then it has something with pizza. Oh, that's true. There's also a uh, there's also another um, what's that anagram? They had the same, yeah. same thing for stars. Uh, sci- uh, scientists classify stars by like um, class, mm-hmm. which is and really like the only thing that like makes a star different from another one is like its mass. Like that determines like the vast majority of its properties. So O B A F G K M. It sounds like nonsense, but basically all you need to know is O is the largest, M is the smallest, and I think it's Oh boy, you're a fine guy and then the km i I forget what that stands for so gkm um acronym not anagram excuse me it's a it's a mnemonic we were both wrong oh dang and yes so when there were nine planets uh it was my very excellent mother just served us nine pizzas Mm -hmm. when it the eight planets my very excited mother just served us nachos. Or ah. eight pizzas. Ding, ding, ding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I so, found the uh, uh, acronym for the star one. It's oh, be a fine girl slash guy. Kiss me. What the? <laughs> <laughs> that works too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not the most just not the most creative, but it works. Did you did you learn that at BU? Yeah. Oh yeah. tell us your experience there. How's Boston University for you? Austin. It's pretty you know, I, I like it. You know, it's it's got a pretty uh 
I guess, dy dynamic environment, I'd say. That's why I'm older. It just feels like so much is going on. You know, if it really feels like you're, like, in the middle of, like, a metropolitan center. Like, BU's not exactly in the middle of Boston. It's, like, more so, like, on the, like, uh, the outskirts outside. Isn't yeah. it known for, like, the sitgo sign? And that's how you can, like, kind of tell where you are in um, Boston? Yeah, yeah, the sitgo sign's right on the eastern edge of campus. Uh, the, the main campus itself is, it's not too far from downtown Boston, but it's not exactly right at the center either. Um, you've got to go about a mile or two out of your way from like uh, the Boston Commons. It's that that's that uh, famous 400-year-old park in the city. Mm. Mile or two um, down the Charles River, um, heading inland, and then the campus is like a long stretch, like two or three miles, like along uh, Commonwealth Avenue. It's like one of the main streets in the city. Mm. Um, yeah, so much is going on. I mean, they've got both like a massive array of like liberal arts and STEM programs. So like you can anything you're interested really like they have. That was one of the reasons why I chose BU for astronomy. It was like one. Of, it was one of the few like great universities in the area that actually had it. Um, yeah, and I, I'm loving what I'm studying. You know, astronomy and physics definitely not easy, but. <laughs> I am very interested in space science and, you know, I wanted something challenging. Like I considered, I considered, you know, keeping on with writing and journalism. Yeah. You guys know how much I loved journalism in high school. Yeah. You know, we both, all three of us took it together for two years. He came in opinions editor senior year, you know, just had a lot of fun with it. Our teacher, Mr. Ringle was great. Yes, sir. But like, you know, I just, the science really appealed to me more. And yeah. especially now that SpaceX has, you know, done so much for uh, Astro, like the, the astronomy community in the past few years, basically like revitalizing the space race. Like now there's going to be a second space race soon to get to Mars. It's pretty out pretty optimistic outlook for what I'm studying. Um, but it is going to take a lot of years for me to, you know, actually like, you know, my stuff. Yeah. Like I've studied like, I took a semester of physics, two semesters of astronomy so far. I still like know the just the basics. Like I probably won't be qualified to, uh, you know, start working in like the field uh, at least until I have like my bachelor's. Yeah, a lot of different skills associated with it. I'm going to have to learn um, some uh, computer science, just enough to where I'll know how to code in like basic languages. Um, haven't had that much trouble with it. Just new to it, so getting my bearings. Um, I guess the only part that I'm really having trouble with is math. Um, Amen. I didn't, I didn't end up with the best professor for a semester, but um, you know that happens to a lot of people for a semester in college. Retook yeah. the same class, did pretty well. Um, got an A minus the second time around. Um, yeah, now. No, I'm going to take some more math over the summer. Really, it's just all about consistency. Um, I think that's, like, the main thing to describe, like, how, like, studying and, like, the workload at BU is, like, they really focus on the consistency of it all. Like, drill it into your head until, like, you know, it's absolutely unforgettable. Yeah. Like, there's, like, already, like, you know, I know the OBAFGKM star class thing for from astronomy by heart. It's just because I had to, like, you know, work with like uh problems and stars remember the classes so often mm -hmm. um you know i got the hang of it 
yeah, just building myself up in my field. Um, very foundational. So quick uh, question, Matt. So you mentioned like SpaceX. Is that like where you'd want to be with this uh, bachelor's degree in astronomy? Or are you like looking for like, you know, research? You want to be like in the, in the field, just like, oh, looking at the stars and such. Right. Right. So there are several different, I guess you could just say, uh, specialties um, in the astronomy, astrophysics, aeronautics uh, community. Uh, some choose to focus on like, you know, uh, applied physics and like space and like engineering. Like those are the people who want to like, you know, go into rocket science, like make rockets for like SpaceX and NASA. Like that's very like, that leans more to more towards engineering, but physics is a very, very vital um, component of that. And although that has less to do with astronomy than like, you know, uh, like studying stars and stuff, uh, no, vast knowledge of space is still needed to make something that will survive up there. Um, initially, I was, I, I found that uh, the most appealing but uh, I made a friend there. Um, she's really into cosmology. Like she showed like showed me some of like the most like important concepts about it. And cosmology is like the study of like the physical observable universe, right? And it's like yeah. uh, it deals with the Big Bang, dark matter, black holes, um, quantum theory. Uh, I think uh, that really interests me. We we got into the basics of it during that second. Um, astronomy class I took mm. by say by far it is the most interesting thing I've ever so yeah I, I I think I'd lean more towards cosmology like studying the origins of the universe its structure um how forces interact with each other in the universe because if yeah. if you took the other route you'd go like the into like theoretical about the universe right like what we don't know uh, well, cos cosmology is, is, is a theoretical science because you're making uh, oh, like assumptions, assumptions okay. yeah, which turns into theories, which turns into fact once proven. Um, in physics, there's applied theoretical physics. So yeah, this is, I guess, basically, essentially the uh, theoretical, uh, something theoretical that you could do with astronomy. Um, the more i guess the more applied astronomy is like studying like planets you know like planet planetary surfaces the search for life in space um i saw something today um about astrobiology which is something that's uh, a new field that's emerging um as like people like have hopes that we're gonna find like life on mars and abroad um but the nasa 2020 rover that they will launch next month on July 20th, I believe. Um, it will arrive on Mars um, in February of next year. And then the goal is to find surfaces on which uh, there's evidence of biological implants, or at least that's one of the goals. Cause uh, on earth we have uh, a bunch of uh, rocks from billions of years ago that show signs of uh, biological structures that formed long ago. Like I'm talking about like imprints that uh, clusters of bacteria and like early animals um like a vertebrae like aquatic vertebrae that lived in like the oceans like left on like rot like dirt and rocks which later hardened 
and uh they basically contain like records like proof that like life existed then and life interacted with like that piece of material on mars they hope to find something similar since uh it was proof it's proven that water does exist on mars it was proven like 20, i think a little like over two years ago something yeah, like that. yeah water does exist um at the poles deep underground they believe that it hasn't frozen because uh there are large salt residues um, where these cavities of water lie. So it's really briny, but it is in fact water. And scientists think that the large basins left on the surface of Mars were formed by uh, water, which had, uh, before the uh, water uh, evaporated away once the magnetic field of Mars weakened and uh, solar radiation from the sun um, ripped apart uh, water molecules bit by bit until they all evaporated wow <laughs> oh yeah lot taken Asian batman jeez louise yeah but yeah uh, on these uh imprinted lake beds there should be if there's if there was life there should be some at least some imprints that have been left on rocks which this new rover called perseverance will find and uh analyze Hopefully we do find something, you know, the thought of not being alone is very exciting. Um, that actually stoked my initial interest in space science altogether. I remember when I was like 11, I was watching Cosmos by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm -hmm. I have to say that's like one of the best shows I've ever seen. I think it's still on Netflix right now. But um, they, I think the f very first episode they opened with... Uh, tardigrades oh like, i was just about to say yeah. like do you think we'd use like tardig or do you think they like find species like tardigrades on mars or like because that's the only animal that can survive in space and it's not even that big it's like yeah. a, not even an, an inch yeah yeah it's microscopic and i thought it was very you know if that uh T tyson was postulated you know if this animal can survive in space Who's to say there are others that aren't out there right now on Mars and in the universe in general? And uh, that, that got me very, very curious about space science. Um, I, was, uh, I was in sixth grade at the time at Schofield. And uh, in eighth grade, to graduate, we uh, had an exhibition project, a mandatory research project. And I decided to do something, you know, space-related. I... Uh, my dad and I, he, he's a really good carpenter, but he helped me build like a model space shuttle. I actually have it in my room with me right now. I held on to it. Um, but yeah, I learned about the basic mechanics of a space shuttle. Um, it's essentially a reusable rocket plane. Um, and it only got me more interested in space science, really. Um, I didn't have an opportunity to... Uh, do anything like that again at Stanford High because you know we did have a space science I, class there. I remember you talking really, about him being like, "What is this?" Yeah, I wasn't happy. It was pretty like underfunded. Like it was only there like as like a face value extracurricular class. Mm -hmm. But then we had that uh, that NASA student spaceflight uh, experiment mm -hmm. program thing that came to our school. It's basically a lottery. Uh, thing where NASA offers like this uh, program uh, to students in 30 high schools across the country uh, if they win the lottery pick to um, design an original experiment and send it up into space where it'll be tested at the 
International Space Station. And uh, we, uh, fortunately, we got it. Um, a lady um, at her school, Miss Dougherty, she helped us um, throughout the process. She herself used to work at NASA. Oh. So uh, she had a vast knowledge of, uh, you know, how to formulate our experiment. We did have some guidelines to abide through. Um, the independent variable was actually already set for us. It was, how does microgravity affect your experiment? So really, we just had to come up with something that could be affected by uh, microgravity. Um, there was like, I believe about 15, 20 teams um, when we did it. Um, my team, it was originally just five of us. It was me, um, Alejandro Ross, Patrick Zaleski, Grahith, who you had on last mm -hmm. week, and John Bonino. And our original experiment was just a basic yeast experiment. It was nothing crazy, just testing how yeast grows in space. Yeast. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeast just kind of explodes when you give it like warm water, like sugar. <laughs> it just grows. It, it's like a kind of fungus, I think. I'm not really sure. Uh, but it was basically to see can astronauts like make bake stuff in space. Um, because yeast had been used in the past, but like as like an example of like can life grow in space? Mm -hmm. And they used like yeast to like do the experiment. Yeast can grow in space. We wanted to know if it would be more efficient or less efficient due to microgravity. You know, if it would, if baking bread by making yeast would be sped up by like an accelerated yeast growing process, or if the yeast would grow slower and it was just not worth like making stuff at all. Um, so I know after the experiment, I realized astronauts can't, they're not allowed to eat bread on the station just because it makes crumbs. All right. And it, it floats. <laughs> Holy <time. Go> ahead. <laughs> crumbs made by like bread and stuff get into the air vents of the space station. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, oh, so they don't even eat bread anyways. But that's besides the point. You could like, you yeast makes ethanol when it when it breeds so you could use the ethanol up there for something like ethanol is used in like rubbing alcohol for cuts so maybe that has some use maybe you could use like yeast for some other kind of purpose um but the point was to just test the growth rate of yeast yeah. um two other teams uh us and two other teams we made it to a finalist round um one of the other teams was testing um Hertz microgravity affects spinal fluid um, in space, uh, in astronauts' bodies, um, because uh, if spinal fluid can't efficiently reach one's eyes, that causes eyesight problems and eye pain. Now, honestly, they had the best experiment of the three teams. Um, the other team uh, had a experiment with uh, a kind of fungus called Sudaria finicola. Um, it was some kind of... Uh, fungi that uh comes from the poop of animals <laughs> yeah um and we it was again just we were testing um how does d how's dna replication like affected by like microgravity because these these uh specific fungi the sordaria finicola they have a very uh noticeable color patterns there's two strands brown and tan and uh you can tell if they crossbred, if uh, they have some kind of like middling color or if there's mul multiple colors and like a strand of like uh, 
spores. Mm. Um, so uh, it was strange because our team ended up winning the yeast team, but we were given the experiment of the fungus team. And NASA was like, guess what? All three of you teams can work together on the fungus Sodaria Fumicola experiment. We are like, okay, we're fine with that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a long process. We worked on it for like, I'd say a little over a year, but it was probably like the most fun thing I've ever done. And one of the, the, the coolest science thing I had ever done up to that point. You got uh, Washington, um, D.C., right? Yeah, we took a trip down there to uh, present our experiment. And I have to say, I was proud of our school because, you know, all the schools that came up were very accomplished. Like, everyone had something cool. But I, I, I think that our school definitely um, had really good speakers. Like, everyone did a great job in explaining their experiments thoroughly. And our school also, like, 13 of us, like, we, we asked, like, questions. We, like, we were there to, we were there to learn, listen to what other people had had to show. There's one really cool experiment where, like, uh, people were observing, like, rust on the metal of a, uh, yeah, metal that they put inside the tiny tube, like, how, like, microgravity would affect, like, the rust on, uh, I forget what kind of metal it was. But yeah, that that was essentially to see if uh, like electrically electrically conducting metal would be affected by microgravity. Um, at that point, um, our experiments had just been launched uh, on the one of the uh, Dragon cargo uh, resupply missions to the ISS. Um, no people were on board that it was just automated by like a computer and, um, alongside all the other cargo, uh, dozens of school experiments were sent up there, um, for the astronauts to test ours among them. And, uh, yeah, the astronauts had a limited way of interacting with yeah. them. Um, uh, you know, they was, it was, it was simple, like, you know. They just want, you know, it wasn't meant to be like complicated experiments. Like NASA had much better things to be doing. But uh, yeah, they, they were just kind of shake or like twist um, around like the things we put in our tubes. So that really limited our experiment because like in these vials, we, we can only like put like a certain amount of a substance. Um, and then we could like have three separate areas of it by using two clamps to uh, press down on two different points. Right. Um, yeah, so like we put like the fungus on one part, we put like agar nutrients, which is basically just food for it so it could grow in the other. And then to control the growth, um, we told the astronauts sometime later, um, remove the third clamp, which just had like a bunch of salt, which would be corrosive to the uh, fungi. And so it would basically kill it. When the experiment came back, um, it was a jumbled mess, and we could not see anything in the microscope because all the all the uh, spore cells um, had burst. Oh my! So we couldn't see like the color of the fungi, and uh, also the agar was really sticky, and it got all in like all in the way of like whatever residue there was from the fungi. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Uh pictures and videos or did you get the actual experiment back we got the actual experiment back oh, oh wow it was in space and we touched it with our hands <laughs> how cool must that have felt to be like 
this was like it's such a surreal feeling i it would be i i I mean you've experienced it matt but i feel like if i were there i'd have been like wow this is outside of our so like this is outside of this is very far away i I wouldn't know how to fathom it i know i'm like should i put gloves on like like should i be holding this like guys like let's just put it down put it under the you're like i want to touch it but we can't touch it too much we had to when we had to scrape it out to like put it on like a uh, slide to put underneath a uh, microscope. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh great! Do we want to be careful about this, or do we just stick the small knife in there and just scoop it out?" The space gunk. Space gunk. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Space yeah, gunk. and we literally just scraped it out. <laughs> but we we were careful. Uh, it was a bit of a squeeze. Uh, uh yeah. Yeah, even though, like, nothing really came of that experiment, like, we all knew it was a fairly basic experiment. Like, the point of it was, like, you know, to work as a team and, like, go through the scientific process of, like, making, like, a realistic experiment that would be sent up to the ISS. Like, we had to order the materials. We had to be in contact with um, Ms. Dougherty, um, the science teacher at her school coordinating it, and uh, people from NASA, people from the company, um that uh, was responsible for transporting the tubes, people from uh, NISIS, which is uh, the National Center for Earth and Space Science Education. I thought it was great. You know, there, it was, there was, this program exists for kids who like science in high school, because honestly, like high school science is drastically underfunded. And like, it's known to be, you know, we, we have like textbooks from the 80s at our mm-hmm. school. See, it's, it, <laughs> even worse conditions at like other high schools i think that's why like a lot of kids like don't become interested in science or stem or any of that it's just because you know lack of resources so the school doesn't invest in that and because the school doesn't invest in it like it's not what appeals to kids i thought you were going to say um the science department and whatever else is underfunded because of sports i literally thought you were going to go with that that's also true, but to be fair, sports programs are where a lot of schools and especially universities get, funding. get, their, get a lot of their money. Right. I, I think it's less justifiable, though, in the case of universities, because like, for example, my school, they like boasted about getting billions of dollars in like donations from alumni Mm -hmm. i I think they could go a few years without like investing as much in their like as good as our hockey team is we've got like a pretty solid hockey program it's not as necessary as you know we always make it out to be yeah like not all we have some fairly strong programs especially chemistry and physics at our school um but the attention is, and I notice that the attention between apartments tends to be lopsided. I guess that's true at most universities anyways, though. It, I mean, it all comes down to, like, uh, it, each individual school kind of has to decide, you know, what do we want to stand for? You have schools like right. UMass Amherst, who I'm not, I'm not going to say that, like, this is where their, most of their money goes, but I know – that when people toured it, they were like, oh my gosh, the dining hall is the best. Like the dining hall, I think it's like in the top five in the country. Or you have schools, you know, like Harvard and Yale who are like, oh, we're known for academics. But then like, 
don't know. They're just kind of like, I haven't personally done research on it, but I feel like that's, that's what they're known for. Or, you know, like Michigan, both Michigans are like, oh, we're known for a football team or basketball team or sports in general. Exactly. Exactly. BU's got this really weird thing going on of like, we're in Boston. So like sports is king. Mm -hmm. Like Boston's like the sports capital of like the East Coast. But BU is also like very like focused on like its biomedical program. Like there are a lot of students or I'm sorry, but I guess both biomedical and biochem. Our school makes a lot of uh, doctors. Um, people will go into pharmaceutical um, engineering, like making like drugs for companies that's used in medicine. All of that going on. Also, a lot of programs in uh, journalism. I think are uh, yeah, BU, the BU School of Communications. It's one of the best. Uh, writing it has one of the best writing and journalism programs in the country um my aunt and grandma went to bu my aunt well really? I, I don't know what she made i think she minored in photography and like partial journalism uh, i know she took my aunt took a class with ellie wiesel which Whoa. Is super impressive oh. and um my grandma went there and she became a teacher mm-hmm yeah, yeah. Our school has a lot of notable alumni. Uh, AOC, Howard Stern. Most important being MOK. Right. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. No. The ironic thing, though, is the I guess uh, the main issue at the school. I, I I suppose the administration, you know, doesn't really know how to handle things well. I guess. Okay. Uh, or at least, like, consider, like, for example, like, when COVID broke mm -hmm. out, like, there was, they, first, the president sent out an email, like, guys, we're shutting down in a few days, and that gave everyone the impression, we need to rush back to campus because it's spring break and pick up all our stuff. Mm -hmm. But then you'd have, like, the, de the dean also emailing, wait, guys, don't come back because we're going to spread COVID. But, like, already it had been, like, 24 hours. So, like, hundreds of students rushed back to campus to get all their mm -hmm. stuff. <laughs> I was going to go until, like, the dean personally emailed me. Like, I advised, like, against you making the situation. Like, I, I had to go back. Like, I, so many of my clothes were there. Like, it would have been, like, pretty, like, rough getting by like not having many clothes but fortunately i had enough old stuff at home like i got by for like three months with until i was able to go back and get my stuff but yeah like that was like a very disorganized response i wasn't happy about like that um the administration they, they also tend to pretty arbitrarily set like costs like uh for no reason whatsoever. I mean, tuition costs are just going up next year by like hundreds Jeez. of dollars. And no specific reason. I mean, they just feel like raising it. BU's tuition is already up there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Over 70 that's like grand all cost year. That's, that's... 70 grand? Yeah, well, now it's trending towards 75. Well, I don't think, considering they just got billions, though, it's like, it's really unfair. Like, You'd think they'd in, in use that money to lower costs, but uh, I guess not. 
So I, that, that bothers me as well. And then like back to like what I was saying with like the notable alumni, I mean, the school tends to flaunt the fact that like alumni, like famous alumni in politics, like went there. But like, you know, when the whole situation with George Floyd broke out, people thought, okay, maybe BU's going to like use all this woke attention they give to like MLK and AOC to like make a comment on like, you know, how like police disproportionately kill people of color and Mm -hmm. abuse their power in certain situations. Like the president and like no one like said anything about it. And like people were like, okay, so you're going to flaunt MLK in the submission times, but not say a thing about him. You know, in this time of like crisis or need, or when like we need like an institution or place of learning to like give us a sense of direction, what we can do to make positive change. You know, mm. it was, and by the time he did send it out, like it, it, it was only because people like complained, urged him to to say something. Our, our president's name is President Brown. Um, I'd say he seems to know what he's doing, but like instances like that with like unjustifiable expenses and expense increases and like flouting alumni at times when it like suits him and when like it doesn't or he doesn't need to like it's just little things like that i'm like eh, I, things could be better around here yeah i get that i mean delaware's response was actually kind of good it was it was just like I don't know. I felt, it, it all happened very quickly. That was that's like the thing that like makes me think it was like relatively good because it just kind of mm-hmm. it. Let's see. It was a Wednesday because I it was I was in history class, and someone in the class was like, "Oh, one of the professors has COVID." Everyone gets back to the dorm, is freaking out, and our RAs is like, "Everyone, calm down." I just go about like my normal schedule. Uh, I call my parents. I get picked up the ne- I pick I get picked up that th- the next day Thursday. And that, because also what they had been doing, we were, we were supposed to have spring break the following week. So they were like, oh, okay, we're just going to pull spring break forward and uh, just have it start the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and have it be like a two-week spring break to figure things out. And then so mm-hmm. like Friday, they were like, oh, yeah, we're probably not coming back to campus. So Saturday morning, we left. We got our, I got my stuff from my dorm, and then I haven't been back to campus since uh but we don't really have any notable like we do we have joe biden and joe flacco so (laughs) there's not a lot you can do with that but as for the black lives matter i think my president handled it pretty well he's like uh we stand with the uh black uh it's not citizens but like those who are black in our University of Delaware community. And then he sent like an additional email saying uh, we are working with like uh, the black um, clubs and organizations to ensure that there are more, you know, uh, there's less like systematic race, uh, systemic, like less prejudice, I guess. Not, I can't remember the name (laughs) for the term, but there's, Mm -hmm. so there's like, less of that and so we can you know kind of grow quote unquote as a community mm-hmm. yeah i mean my school 
my school, I there haven't been any like political situations except um, the first semester. Ben Shapiro actually gave a speech on my campus, oh, wow. and although <laughs> I, I saw, although I disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I like, I disagree with a lot of his ideas, but you know, it see, I wasn't exactly sure like what where he stood on like thing. Like it seemed like he was like far right, but at the same time he wasn't a Trump Republican. So I'm like, what what does this guy have to say? So I'm like, all right, I'll go to the what do you call it, convention thing, I guess. And I I thought you know like I. I think it's important to give other sides of the aisle an open mind mm-hmm. and all that, that helps to give you the ability to be able to interact with, well, when you hear someone saying something you disagree with, it allows you to like handle it and process it and respond with why you disagree with them. I think that's, it's, it, that's a big reason why, you know, like people our age have trouble, like, you know, convincing people because there's no conversation, yeah. you know, yeah, you have to like let someone, talk themselves out and explain themselves so then you can address it with why you fundamentally disagree with their ideas however i everything he had to say it, it was it rested off of like basic like debate fallacy tactics like stuff i learned in like high school debate like he had a very very good way of uh, like formulating like you know comparisons um he's a good speaker but he uses that to make his points like ideological fallacies rather than the actual arguments Mm -hmm. that like make sense yeah like uh his his main his i guess his his main thing the speed the focus of that speech was uh america was founded on freedom not slavery and one of his arguments for like you know america america as a place of like uh betterment for african americans is like during jim crow african americans actually became wealthier and they had more money by the time jim crow ended but like that misses the point like there shouldn't be jim crow at all like he presents america as like a land of uh, he the goal of his was basically to argue that america is a land of opportunity for all and the argument that this country was built on injustice is invalid. Um, and like having been in like a history class that like basically studied everything from the Civil War until like oh, modern that's what day. I took this past like, semester, history since 1865. Yeah, yeah, me too. The focus was basically like, y- yes, or the or the idea is basically yes, America like has an optimistic outlook generally. Mm-hmm doesn't mean it carries that out though like for the very 80 very much for the first 80 years of this country you know that liberty and freedom and equality and opportunity was very select like it it was it, it, it had to like honestly take time for like people to accept that you know more than just white men can like enjoy like freedom and like the same thing I, I think history tends to repeat themselves. It's like the same argument was like ju- basically made um, in England for uh, when rich noblemen were like, the king is the only one who should have power. Mm. 
And so the king and nobleman had power. And then from that, you have, you know, white col- white male colonists making that same argument. Um, so then that right gives, gets extended to white men. But even at the beginning of this country's history, even poor white men weren't allowed to vote. Their intelligence was, was used as a uh, reason to uh, disenfranchise them. Um since they generally couldn't afford a education. Um, but that was later changed in like the 1820s, 1830s. Uh, then you have the abolition of slavery. Um, and the right to vote is actually granted to African-Americans, uh, but just to men. Um, and initially for the first few years during reconstruction, uh, black males were actually voting in large numbers um, in the South and uh, those in the North, although there were a lot less of them, they did have an impact, you know, in states like New York, um, since there were tens of thousands of them. Um, they, had, they, they had a real impact on elections. Um, at the time, you know, the Republicans were the party of African-Americans and anti-slavery. So, uh, yeah, their presence was seen. Like, if you look at maps, voting maps for national elections, um, it is a lot more red after the Civil War for a while. Uh, but, you know, once Jim Crow policies start getting placed uh, in the 1880s and 1890s, it, it wasn't a lot of people think it was an instantaneous thing after the Civil War that, you know, uh, Jim Crow and denying African-Americans uh, on a widespread scale the right, uh, their um, right to vote. Um, but it, it really started manifesting itself again when the North started to withdraw its troops, so no one was there to actually enforce the laws. And you know, when there was no enforcement, then that was when actually most of the uh, obstacles were placed to uh, uh, in voting ballots. Um, and I think uh, in history, like uh, we like looked at this idea, like this the, this sliver in history where. Although it wasn't totally accepted, but in some communities in the South, as early as the late 1900s, there was some harmony, some genuine harmony between African Americans and white people. Um, however, it didn't last long, and it was few and far between. Um, but I, I just think it's interesting that you know, if history played out differently, Jim Crow might not have you know even become as prevalent as it did, and then become a national policy enforced by Plague, Plessy v. Ferguson. Yeah. I think you can also attribute part of it to like redlining, uh, which I don't know if you're, his, yeah, mm-hmm. it, for those who don't know, red, redlining is essentially, I want to say in like the late uh, 1800s, early 1900s, you have uh, people, I, I don't even know who like started it. I think it was like bankers uh, who would redline certain parts of uh like your community and Uh, those within the line are like it's kind of like putting uh like black or hispanic or like any minorities any minorities in that section just so they're like all there and like when uh those minority families would go to the bank and say oh no we want a house out here uh the bankers would be like Oh yeah, that one looks good. But what about this one? And then they'd show them one inside uh line. The line. Yeah. So that also 
if I had to say one of the like it's in a lot of history classes don't cover it. Uh, I I think you know history in college is so much more like it's you learn a lot more than history in high school. Yeah, for sure. They definitely sugarcoated <laughs> it in, for us in high school, and then in college it's just like, oh, we're here to rip off the bandaid and tell you kind of what's really going on. Yeah. I don't know if you covered it, but there was an incident in the 1890s. Um, there was a courthouse with a uh, black judge and several black uh, legal representatives. Um, I think it was in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, an angry militia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, of, uh, yeah. A white mob killed the National Guard officers who were protecting it, then went inside the building and hung every single person inside there. And then I believe they burned it down to the ground too, the courthouse. <laughs> it was it was it was horrifying. But like the, the yeah, you're right. Like they rip off the bandaid and they really tell you the truth. It was that was something I appreciated yeah. about university compared to high school. You got the full image. Um, Matt, a lot of people. Yeah, I asked, was it like the militia or the KKK? Uh, it was uh, it was some random yeah. militia. I mean, it wasn't just the KKK doing stuff like that. There, there was, was like mobs of white people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah, that makes more sense. Vigilantism, so to speak. That's well. I that's what we learn in college is like you said, ripping off the bandaid. It's more like that because in high school and even middle school, it, we everyone tends to learn uh, what they call, or what we call what history. I'm sorry, could say again? I said, what we learn in college, uh, like Jacob said, like you guys said, it's like ripping off the Band-Aid, which everyone can appreciate, I would imagine. Um, it's like that, because in high school and even middle school, it's like... Uh, we're learning what what we call white history, where we're learning what, well, basically, like white privileged people want us to learn. Essentially, like they're the ones funding mm-hmm. us. The overall, so they're gonna mm-hmm. fund what they want us to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a very Anglo-Saxon-oriented history. Like, I mean, it, it, frankly, it, it encompasses mostly Western and Northern European history. It doesn't even consider, you know, all of Europe because there was, um, in the early 20th century, ironically, there was also discrimination against Southern and European oh, um, yeah. immigrants. Um but this, uh, although it was it was nowhere near on the scale of uh, discrimination to African Americans, Latinos, um, and Asians, but still, I think it's really sad the fact that you know those Southern and Eastern uh, immigrants um, in, from Europe, rather than you know oppose that system that Northern and Western Europeans set up to maintain control, they learn to play the game. They're like, all right, so the English and Germans are on the top, but us, us Irish and Italians are still above, you know, yeah. minorities, yeah. which is totally messed up. 
I just like how, you know, they didn't how their own struggle, you know, and trying to be equal and trying to always pain, painstakingly like impress, you know, already established Protestant English and German. They, you know, stood together against that with minorities, but you know, I guess that that's just the way the system is designed. Like there's even incidents in uh, black communities where um, light-skinned can, you know, they're they're rude to people who are darker than them and are also kind of racist. <laughs> what a what a weird time we live in. Yeah. I mean, all, all of that is less proof yeah. today, but still, the, the issue is that it's still around, you know, and as the nation that represents democracy, it's it's especially vital here that we adhere to a consistent principle of non-discrimination. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we need to start taking, like, there's, steps. There's so much sun, you know, and what happens to me. What? Uh, I was saying, I think we need to start, like, taking, like, step, like, Small steps at first, but then going into like larger strides to kind of, you know, fix our society. You know, I, I'm thinking start off with like removing Columbus Day because you know Columbus was a terrible person, uh, or mm-hmm. you know, uh, adding like a you adding more African American figures into like history, like instead of just yet still keeping it somewhat sugar coating, but you know, like adding the importance of figures such as these or you know like it's i don't know i don't know how soon our society could do that because it, it'd be like a it's a drastic change yeah. you have we're, we're literally converting from like one train of thought to another but like as a whole three hundred thousand. well here's people i'm gonna play i'm gonna play devil's advocate with you so like the two examples you gave removing columbus day and putting more uh, prominent and more important uh, black figures into history education. So for Columbus Day, a lot of people would argue, oh, you're going to take away a three-day weekend? Like, that's a stupid reason, but, you know, they're going to do anything to keep that three-day weekend because people work and they want a break, obviously, as stupid as it is, but whatever. So that and for history education, in high school, we had African-American studies, so... The argument for that would be, well, you could take that as an elective. That way, you're learning um, U.S. history, and you want to learn more Black history. Well, take African American studies. You know, we mm-hmm. don't do anything. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Uh, as for Columbus Day, I think you can get rid of it. I mean, like, I, yeah, definitely, it doesn't need to be. The the irony is though. Columbus did do a lot of horrible things, but everything he's blamed for, part of it was actually a lot of the things that he is blamed for. It was actually done by his successors. It just goes to show how uh, history is edited so that all the blame is shifted to, you know, one person. What do you mean? I mean, uh, successors. I think one of of his successors, uh, Francisco Roldan, um, a lot of the violence and killings that occurred on Hispaniola, um, he actually, Roldan actually did. Um, most of the genocide was done by people who 
followed Columbus. Although Columbus also killed people, yeah, it was pretty awful. Um, you know, that edit to history, you know, makes the picture less clear as to what was actually true. Uh, I agree. I don't think Columbus Day is even necessary. I mean, we shouldn't honor the fact that colonization and murder mm-hmm. happened. Genocide um, and rape. All the above. Mm-hmm. The, the historical revisionism is even happening now, though. Like, we want to blame Trump is not the best guy. Uh, well, that's an understatement. We all know he's a bad president. You know, he oversaw the largest job loss in history in this country and over 100,000 deaths. You might argue that he's not responsible for that, but he is responsible for addressing that and trying to contain the way he know, went about it you can blame him for he's like yeah it was a very weak if response you, if, if he had like you know first covid case was was in january i think in like washington state so if if he had been like okay this is happening everyone uh reduce contact you know st- and mm-hmm. like or even the way that people are tested, you know, you have countries like South Korea, Australia, even Italy after it got infected. And how they did it mm-hmm. was, uh, just to quickly backtrack before I get back to that, it's, it's a statistic show you want a 1 in 10 uh, corona test positive ratio. So that means 1 in every 10 cases is positive, which isn't good, obviously, but it's like the best case scenario. Yeah. Now, what those countries and other countries did was they did random testing. They said, all right, this group of people, like, you, if you come, you get, say, let's say you get a letter in the mail and it's like, you're going to get COVID tested today. You go, you get COVID tested. And then if you have it, then they can track it. But what the United States did was they said, oh, we're, if you, if you feel sick, it's, it's on you. It's, if you and there, there we have had a bunch of you know. Oh, oh, I'm dumb. What's the term for like someone who has it but isn't like having any of the symptoms? Oh, dormant, asymptomatic. asymptomatic. Uh, yeah. Um, so you, I think it was like on the corona test positive scale. I'm gonna pull it up right now. Um, you have. Uh, it was like the United States has like a 25% on that, which means like a quarter of every um, person, a quarter of all people have it. Meanwhile, these other countries have less than 10%, which shows, I'm pulling it up right now, uh, but you guys can pull up that. Okay, okay, got it, got it. So for the cumulative test positivity rate, the United States is a 13%. Anyone under 10% is like doing good as to how well they're positive. So that's Italy, Argentina, Japan, Canada, Germany, India, Russia, uh, Denmark, South Korea, Australia, Taiwan. The ones above the 10%, Spain, United States, United Kingdom, Sweden, and Mexico is the highest with a 28.1%. I'm telling you, Canada, Canada mm-hmm. and Australia, they know what's up. Mm-hmm. They all know what's up. And then there was a, another graph later in the video that showed uh, those, it, it showed like United States, states with a higher than 10%. Uh, can, uh, well, this was published 
May 23rd. So uh, obviously a lot has changed in a month. But uh, Connecticut had 25.4. And awesome. the only one, we were the second highest. New Jersey had 32.8. <laughs> oh, oh. We're the second highest? We were the second highest. Damn. So. Gotta love that. I, I don't know what it is. I think Arizona would probably be the highest now because I think it had 2,000 cases reported in the past day and Whoa. a half. Well, so, I would imagine it wouldn't because Arizona and, well, the West, uh, it's, the I, West Coast or the Western states are in the sun like 24-7. Oh, I, think, I think the disease is just moving West because you have, you know, I think New York has quarantined. So they're doing, they flatten the curve. We flatten the curve. New Jersey's flattened the curve. That's our tri-state area. Good, good. Florida, because mm-hmm. that's where it came in the most. You have like people flying into JFK and LaGuardia. Yeah. Um, then I think it, Florida has higher cases now. Uh, highest cases per state. Um, but as we going to the point, back to the point I was making mm-hmm. earlier. As we speak, even the situation, this pandemic is being. Like you know, revised. Like everyone, everyone wants to place the blame solely on Trump, but it's not just solely his fault. You know, you have people who think you know that this thing, this Corona conspiracy, this Corona thing is just a conspiracy, and they just went out and protested the virus, which predominantly happened in you know red states. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. They made it a part. I'd say it's the fault of both both political parties as well for making a pandemic partisan. Only in America you can have shit like that. Yeah, exactly. It's so dumb. Like, self obsession for politics that you know that detracted our attention away from doctors and medical professionals who are giving us advice and also pleading to have resources. You know, and we just. Give, we give all our, which gives politics this power over situations like this. People need to stop give, you know, giving like federal politics and all this cable news drama thing less attention because ultimately yeah. that does nearly as much as what our local, you know, governments and what our states can do. Like the, in our case, you know, our representatives, uh, Jim Himes, um, our, our house for this area, Murphy and Senator Blue, uh, Blumenthal, um, there are state senators. They affect our lives more than anyone in this country. And the policies that will, you know, impact our day-to-day activities, like, you know, working, property taxes, it's set by them, you know, and by city officials who are administered by them. Um I think we pull our attention in the wrong place, especially when dealing with the spots. You know, we need to work with locals within our community, and we need to make sure our own community is secure and safe before we start looking at other places out in, you know, the Midwest and worrying about, you know, Tallahassee. Yeah, right. Or, you know, Stanford recovers. Like everyone needs to do their part to make sure that they're clean, they're safe, they're, uh, they've successfully isolated themselves and that's, that's not what happens of wearing a mask. Oh, that's like and other... symbolic representation of it yeah like you need it like what you need to worry about yourself 
and your what immediately surrounds you before others. I, I, I like to I, actually know, I know that all this arguing, all this, you know, pandering to politics, like on the news by the Fox, both Fox News and, and MSNBC, like it just hurt everybody. Like it just totally detracted from the point that this virus affects all of us and we all need to work together. Instead, it's like, huh, Republicans are dumb and they're dirty. So that's why they get Corona more. And Democrats are like, or, and Republicans are like, oh, Democrats are control freaks. That's why they want to lock us in our basements while they take over the government. It's just ridiculous. No one actually thinks like that. Uh, um, and no one says that unless they're paid to say that, like Tucker, Car- Tucker Carlson and Rachel Maddow. Like both, like Democrats love to play the I'm the savior card, but they're just as like unhelpful as Republicans. Let's be real. I mean, right now, the best thing they could do, make this a bipartisan issue. You know, I think right now, what we do not need is, you know, each party being like, it's the other party's fault for this. When you really... Yes, you can point fingers, but it's not going to, you know, do anything. It's going to turn into a he said, he said, she said. Well, I think it mm-hmm. just don't make it political at all. Exactly. Yeah, it should. The first week I ha- it happened, though, you know, it wasn't political. But my biggest fear was it becoming political. And of course it did. Why? Because lunacy sells on yeah. the news. And, you know, I th- we need to pay attention to local news more often than cable news. Like, these big companies like CNN and Fox, well, just because they have resources to produce stories doesn't mean they're high-quality stories or they're even helpful. You know, most of the time it's just entertainment. You know, because people are giving all their attention and power to these companies, local papers, you know, which have tend to have much more accurate reporting because, you know, the writers live in the area – and they're also, you know, less prone to, you know, make entertainment out of news because, you know, their lives are affected personally. They're ordinary, ordinary people. I mean, they're suffering. People aren't buying papers, you know, despite us knowing that papers are better. You know, genuinely, like, good places to, like, read from. Like, for us, like, the Stanford Advocate and Hartford Corrin, like, I've only like recently the only like times I've read anything by them have just been online and, you know, ad revenue, it's helpful, but it's not as much money as like buying a newspaper for like three or five bucks. Yeah. Like the last time I actually bought a newspaper was probably 2018. (laughs) Yeah. Two years. Holy crap. Yeah, and I love journalism, so keep that in yeah. mind. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 ultimately the reason why I, I went with science. I'm like, not only do I like science just a bit better, but I you can't make a a living with journalism unless you join the ridiculously entertainment, <laughs> entertainment you know fiasco that's going on over there at cnn and fox and msnbc i mean like the best case the best thing that can come out of it is just like you make a non-political news uh organization but then you know yeah, no so one would watch that ads and whatnot yeah, yeah here's the thing, though. so in my history class 
I wanted to like, you know, figure out the question, like, how did we get this divided? Like in, mo- in modern politics, right. it's like there were intense periods of division like yeah. this before. But, you know, that the last time this happened, it was like in the like 30s with the Great Depression and like Hoover's hardline, like we're not helping people supporters versus like the Roosevelt's or like we need some social network. And like, there was a lot of like bipartisan tension there. I mean, partisan tension there, but that eventually coalesced into bipartisanship after Roosevelt, like clearly won. Um, Since um, Newt Gingrich came into power, he he was a important um, representative in the Republican party. He started his career around like the late seventies. He basically invented all these like sleazy, like childish tactics of just digging up dirt on people to just say on the news that has no relevance to politics, like insulting your opponents, just attacking them and using the news as like a way to, you know, invoke drama. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's effective because, you know, people don't care about listening to a long expense report, but like, they're like, like, oh crap, the senator just called the president. An yeah. idiot. Like you're, you're gonna be like, oh, what's he gonna say? It becomes like a high school, like a fight in a lunchroom in a high school, rather than politics. And that's that's the legacy Gingrich left. Uh, left. Um, he definitely wasn't the first one to use that tactic, but he combined it with cable news in such a way that it, cable news is now like the backbone of our political system just meant to cause drama and like not actually like progress anywhere. Like ever since he's like, he came and went from Congress, we've, we have gotten very little done in this country. Like the most, the most like significant thing we had done and that significant doesn't apply. Good thing was like bomb the bomb Afghanistan. Like (laughs) we don't, we, we help like, other countries like Saudi Arabia and Israel to the point where like they're benefiting more than like right. us citizens of our own like government. It's just absurd. Like we can't even get simple health care bills passed because congressmen just slide little like amendments in there and sections that include stuff totally unrelated. That we don't even know about. Because, yeah. No, we didn't, we didn't should, know about it because health care is so to be honest, healthcare is so boring to listen to. No, yeah, about it. I know. We, we know. And the ta- that tax cut thing that, right? And the the tax cut thing that like Republicans passed, like in Trump's first year, like no one understood like what yeah. it was, but like it had very big consequences, and massive cuts for corporations. It's huge. Like <laughs> to quote Trump, like the biggest like they've seen in, since like Reagan. And like, yeah, there were small cuts to compensate the middle class voters who voted for him. But at the end of the day, you know, it's going to come to bite us because we're going to pay a larger ratio of, of tax taxes now. Now that corporations don't have to pay as much. Not like they were paying that much anyways. It's just it's it's, you know, a tax bill passes that's rigged against the middle class. And and, you know, only a certain amount of people know about it because no one's reporting on that. The news is busy with drama. And, you know, it's how can you make something so technical and political sound interesting? I mean, I'm glad our generation, the Zoomers, you know, Zoomers. we 
<laughs> we're, we're very, you know, although, you know, we aren't the best at socializing. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of us are very awkward, but that's okay. We, we do, you know, have some understand more a greater understanding of politics from an earlier age than I than millennials I'd argue yeah like it yeah. it feels like millennials didn't really address the political problems going around around them but I, I think that's a that's because when they were our age those problems we see today just started to coalesce mm-hmm. but now that we actually have major issues to deal with like the ramping up of you know climate change and exposing you know the the truth behind like you know the broken system of policing that we have like we're the zoomers are stepping up from a younger age and i think we're going to have a a bigger voice in society it's just right now you know we're not in charge like 2021 like we're not going to have like our say for the next 10 years and then at 10 years you know, a lot the, can change. Yeah, like we have a bunch of irresponsible people in government right now, and a lot of them like are obsessed with their own ego and power. Yeah, yeah, like even people who seem the most well-intentioned, like AOC, like yeah, like you know, her props to her for winning, and I know her like election district like loves her, but like you know. A lot of the stuff she does is just publicity stunt. Like, if she actually got the policy she wanted to pass, like, do we wouldn't her district wouldn't have a reason to vote for her. So her point as a her her use as a politician would be gone. Like, that's the thing with a uh, with a lot of like um, Democratic leaders, like the Clintons. They want you know liberal reforms, but they they said it to a point where you know it's it's so like out there it will generate media attention and Republicans will never agree to it. It's just like, look how woke we are. You need us. We're the leader for this cause. If you vote for us, we'll make this happen. Even though they know there's no chance at all that that's going to happen. They're just propping themselves up as the leader of social movements that they don't plan to solve because as long as they're at the top, they'll get you know attention and fame. And that's, that's a critical, that's, that's a point of criticism that, you know, conservative friends have like told me like that's why they don't like democrats and i agree it's a totally valid reason that's you know i i didn't like clinton at all in 2016 to be honest i thought she was worse than trump i think she still would have been worse than trump i mean a lot of people didn't know about her foreign policy affairs she sold weapons and uranium mines to russia as part of like some financial deal like two-faced harbinger you know she's all about peace at home right she like you know is very much like a war hawk abroad with foreign policy oh war hawk (laughs) yeah no like honestly yeah yeah wow that was a lot to take in yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, this is what in quarantine mostly i've just been you know watching the news cycle i mean other than that, just some basic exercise, you know, not much, not too much going on. Just looking at the world around us, I guess. Let, let's end things on, on a bit of a lighter note. Well, wait, no. hold on. Hold on. Let, oh, let me get one last, one last comment in there. Go ahead, go ahead. So, uh, this past semester, spring semester, I took a, a class that was called 
I'm pretty sure it was called uh, the studies of climate change on the New England coast. Mm-hmm. And that's in us. that class, what was that? I said that's us. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Well, so in that class, our professor nonchalantly just said, "Within this century, we're going to experience a mass genocide." And I freaked out mentally because I had no idea what the hell that meant for us. Now, I totally forgot about that and that climate change even existed because of everything happening as of now, which is crazy if you think about it. You know, we're going to experience a mass genocide within this century. Didn't even think about that at all for a few months because of everything, (laughs) to put it (laughs) simply. I don't know. No one really has their priorities straight. That's all. Yeah. We have the power to change it. I mean, we just have to organize ourselves. We need we need leadership that isn't pretending to care. And I think it has to be someone around our own age because they'll understand. But I don't think a 53-year-old who has, you know, a, a safe pension and $7 million, you just know, will feel, yeah, will feel the pain of, you know, climate change or, you know, having, you know, like seeing people around our age, like getting beat up at protests. Like we, we need someone that's like you said, I think someone from our generation would better understand how to, how to run this crazy, crazy nation. Mm -hmm. They would better understand and i think i would feel safer in their hands theoretically or at least appoint someone our age or our generation to like a higher position right i mean obviously you wouldn't have any 20 year olds in in like like joe biden's gonna be like oh yeah i I, surprise my vice president's gonna be a 20 year old Mm -hmm. but you know it would happen though just Hmm? I said crazy if that would happen, though. Just that would be insane. Mm. I don't even think that'd be legal. Mm. Anyway, uh, I think we're almost out of time, so let's right. let's try to end things on a lighter note. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of science talk. And then we got a lot of history talk and a lot of politics talk. Mm. It's a very informative podcast today, everyone. Indeed. Uh... Ringles class. Oh yeah, we can talk about our time. Oh yeah, Ringles class. Ringle, wrangle, jingle, jangle. Oh yeah. Shout out, <laughs> shout out, sponsor. Ringle, if you're watching. Thanks. Well, no, if you're listening, sorry, if you're listening to this, uh, shout out to you. Hi, Ringle. <laughs> <laughs> so your, our your little ju- boys have grown up. Our yeah. junior year, uh, the three of us were in a journalism slash communications class it's essentially the same class just the title of the class changes so you can take it like if you are on the on this class newspaper on the school newspaper then you have to take it your senior year but otherwise there's like you can take it two years in a row uh and yeah we had some we had some good times in there (laughs) anyone want to start off with no i have Uh, i have a a good one the day that we had to try to capture a mouse in class. Oh, I remember that. That was a. That was, it just took up the whole day. I know the entire all all his journalism periods had to deal with it in some way. Yeah, 
the repercussions of the mouse. I know. Yeah, a mouse scampered around the class in the beginning of the day. And for the rest of the day, no one could find it, but the damage was done. Everyone was freaking out. And so you'd walk in there. All the tables tables were pushed, chairs scattered. Um, the <laughs> Everyone was sitting behind. on their chair, like crisscross applesauce, so their feet didn't right. touch the ground. Yeah, and like me and uh, a friend of ours, Sebastian, we were like helping Ringo set up like traps, like putting buckets near the edge of like the bookshelf where like it crawled behind so we could just close it like get the mouse but like it didn't come out during our period Oops, uh, supposedly i think they called it later uh, i don't remember i don't remember either i just remember like we got in and then he closed the door and he's like okay everyone so uh don't freak out but there's a mouse <laughs> in here somewhere and uh we don't really i he's he's like this is what we're gonna focus on getting the mouse out <laughs> and that was a class like it was like brainstorming ideas of how to get the mouse out See, his class was the best. So it was funny. It was very really flexible. Like, he Just, had the lesson plan, and then if if he needed to, if a mouse came in the classroom, he could be like, well, we're not doing that today. If we were ahead okay. uh, on schedule, or, like, ahead of schedule, then definitely there would be enough time to go about the day on catching a mouse. <laughs> yeah. It felt like every day in that class was a different story. And honestly, I think that's the biggest lesson we could take away from that class. Stories all around class. Yeah, the irony. Stories are happening all the time. Like, uh, oh, remember we were just chilling at our table with uh, Cara Grasso? Uh And then Rainbow just jumped up on our table with his ukulele and just started singing. What? <laughs> I don't remember yeah, that, but I can definitely see that happening. It was junior year. He was like, stop recording me when I took out my phone. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise. I remember, so uh, we'd have movies we'd watch based on journalism, half oh. on journalism, half on like, uh, I think just because he wanted to watch them. <laughs> v for Vendetta was definitely one he wanted to watch, but I think the rest were journalism. And mm-hmm. after every movie... I think we'd have like one takeaway uh, for Glass, which is the story of Chuck. Um, Chuck. 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 Oh, Shattered Glass. Oh, <laughs> Glass. That's what's Glass, the superhero movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, Shattered Glass. Yeah. About Stephen Glass or Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen. <laughs> um, it's a, like, it's a, it's a reporter. I, I don't want to, I'm going to spoil it. It's about a reporter. That's all you get to know, folks. And just the way he said Chuck, who's another character in the, in the movie, he's like, Chuck, Chuck, come on, Chuck. Come on, Chuck. You got to believe me, Chuck. What's so funny, though, is that every every takeaway from each movie was somewhat of what Ringle said. Like, oh, my God, wait. All right, pause it, pause it. All right, now, listen to the way he says Chuck. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was one of them. And the guy would just go, come on, Chuck. And he paused it and go, Chuck, hey Chuck, and you do an impression of it. And it's uh, like, for Veronica, Veronica, Veronica Girin. Veronica Girin. Where are we going, Veronica Girin? That we would just say her name like super Girin. Scott, Scottish. There was a song at the end of the movie that you would like rehearse. Oh, she remembers. She remembers. I'm only singing in a high voice because it was a child singing it. Yeah, but otherwise it was like. 
Low lie the fields of Athenry, where once we watched those small free birds fly. There is another scene in there that uh, we all remembered, which was not not funny, but like in the moment, very shocking. Where you couldn't help but laugh. Where uh, Veronica Gearwin just oh, she gets hit in the face, right? Yeah, she gets punched <laughs> by a man. And he, he says, says he says he some says naughty words. Word. Bad words. Yeah, it was like funny as in like you didn't expect it. Was, it was just yeah. <laughs> like a reaction is like what? Wait, Matt, have you seen Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? Uh, no, I have not. I'm drawing a parallel to another unexpected scene that just kind of comes out of nowhere that like takes you back and you start laughing. Uh quick 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 sidetrack. AP Gov senior year. We're watching Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And essentially the plot is this dude, Mr. Smith, he's running for political office. But then he realizes that like, oh, every, like the gov, some like big wig in his state is like paying the senators to do what he wants. And he's like, I'm not standing for that. So uh, he's in Congress. Uh, he's like lobbying. He's like, he's doing that thing where he can like talk forever and like Fill not. Filibuster. Filibuster. There you go. I learned in AP Gov. I, I truly did. Um, and he's, he's filibustering and the big wig from the state is not letting, uh, the news get out to his state. So this group of like, like Mr. Smith is, Mr. Smith is like a boy, the leader of like the boy scouts essentially. And he's like kids and these kids go and like try to spread the news of Mr. Smith. And it's like a montage of the kids just like. Uh, sending out the news and then it gets to this part where like these kids are like on this little like trolley and they're like driving oh, they're, it they're driving they're driving okay then they're full on driving and uh like this the adults who work for the big wig are in like an even bigger truck and they start honking at the kids and the kids are like yeah yeah we're spreading the news and then the, the bigger truck runs over the smaller truck and like pushes it out of the road <laughs> And then it just oh. cuts to the next scene. It just, it, it just, it's like doesn't even bat an eye. And and like Eddie oh. and I just start dying. And, and Mr. Brown is just like, what's so funny? And, and Shayna in front of us is just like, what? She's like in shock of what just happened. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Brown replayed like Mr. Brown replayed it two or three times just to make Shayna sad. No, a little bit because of that. A little bit just to, like he never realized it. He never phased him the way it phased Eddie and I. I did not realize like a getting run over scene in the movie. Isn't it loud? It was. It was just honking. Oh. Also, also, like the the oh my god, the allies of the bigwig. They're like yeah, they're honking at the the kids in the car, and the kids are like, no, we're not going anywhere. Blah blah blah, and they're honking back. So the big car just swerves they do a sharp turn into the little car and the kids in the little car scream they're like ah! and I'll, matt i'll send you the clip i have it forever uh in my uh safari just just if i need to pull it up but what's all right all right the, the scene ends there the kids scream the ki- yeah it just it. ends there and it goes to the next scene <laughs> it's like it's uh uh What's his name again? Mr. Smith. Stewart. James Stewart. Yeah, it's just him still doing the filibuster, like at the at, in the next scene. Oh my god, iconic. 
Iconic. What other movies did we watch? We watched the one with uh, James Franco. <laughs> Is that a hit? <laughs> you guys, you guys hear it? The kid. <laughs> um, what was that movie with? I think it was James Franco or Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, almost famous. No. Well, yes, we watched it Almost was, Famous. It was with Ben Affleck. Ben um, Affleck, not James Franco. I'll get. I'll get, I'll pull it up. But Almost Famous was a great movie. Oh yeah, that was great. Jason Bateman. Um, Jason Bateman. Yeah, he played this. Denial was it? Denial. State of play. State of play. Oh, I yeah, I skipped. Oh, okay. I skipped during that class, dude. No, Jason. Jason. It was. Oh. Russell Crowe, Ben Affleck, Rachel oh. McAdams. No, that's spotlight. When a congressional aide is killed, a Washington D.C. journalist starts investigating the case. Yeah. Involving the representative. That's it. No, that's this is state of play. Don't want yeah, I don't think I was there for that. The one, Great, the one spotlight that we also watched. Was spotlight, I love spotlight. I remember V for Vendetta and Spotlight the most vividly. Oh, Jason Bateman is in it. How, yes. Wow. Good memory. I only uh, I only remember Ben Affleck and Russell Crowe. David Harbour is in it as well. Oh right. Bro, I know my entertainment. <laughs> Yeah, I know my that, uh, clean casts. Mark Ruffalo, Michael Reeves, and uh, Michael Keaton. And Spotlight, Michael Keaton. Spotlight, yep. Beetlejuice, Batman. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, Vulture. The dude from Mad Men. John Hamm. No. no, the other guy with the white hair. Oh, Live Trevor. Live Trevor wasn't John Slat- Slattery. Oh. Slattery. Who was in denial? Was there anyone famous in denial? Rachel Wise, and uh, oh, that's right, we did watch. That's the Holocaust one. That's, yeah, 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 that's where the dude is like David Irving. That's David Irving uh, cameoed. Yeah, yeah, that guy's a jerk. Oh, what was the other one we watched? Frost Nixon. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, Frost was, Nixon was great. It was, it was just called Frost, right? Or was it Frost Nixon? No, it was Frost Nixon. Oh, that was also really good. Like, un- so yeah, un- yeah. that one was really underrated. And that Frost, one, we, yeah, that one we just awesome. made. Oh, that one we made fun of Nixon, who called Frost in the middle of the night. It was like, I want to order a cheeseburger. Your cheeseburger. Cheeseburger. Is this the McDonald's? And later on, they have another conversation when Nixon isn't half asleep, and Nixon's like, "Did I say something to you?" Yeah. And Frost is like, "We just talked about cheeseburgers." He's like, "Oh, that's it?" And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Oh." Okay. I think Nixon was on something. No, <laughs> a little bit of snowflake Nixon, in the Oval Office. <laughs> Nixon was tripping balls, bro. Let me tell you. Yeah, Nixon was secretly like a hippie, but like he didn't like himself, so like that's why he did like the war on drugs, man. Mm. Oh, uh, we watched uh, the the one with uh, Truman Capote. Oh, oh right, that was the other. Just Capote. Capote. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
His voice, his voice can't get over it. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. What's up? Hey, hey guys. I, I can't do it. It's too hard. Too easy. Hey, hey. I can't do it either. I, it, it's like high, but like not as high as I'm doing it. High. Like not even high, just soft. It's just. It's not, soft. Yeah. It's soft spoken. It, was it wasn't high. It was just very soft. Mm-hmm. Very soft and gentle, like a lamb. <laughs> Sounds of the Lambs would have been a good movie to watch. And then the rest, what we, oh, there was a rock climbing movie. Oh, free, uh, free Solo? Yeah. yeah. Dude climbed. That was, that was just like, oh, he, I think we watched that with a sub. Yeah. And then V for Vendetta was also. The God tier movie of that class. <laughs> I think we only watched it in November, so we could say, remember, remember the 5th of November. It was, it still is in my top five favorite movies. Oh, it's still a great movie. Like, yeah. I don't know, I, I watched that. it in that class, and I was like, ooh, I was just like so taken. I mean, it's in my I'm, top five favorite movies, bro. Like, that's like in like the treasure box. Like, I'm, I'm never going to stop talking about that movie. It's one of my dad's favorite. I came home after that day after school and I was talking to my dad about it. And he's like, wow, that's one of my favorite movies. I'm like, whoa, really? I didn't even know that. So now, now that it's on Netflix, I think he and my brother are going to watch it soon. Yeah. And I, not not just them. There's a comic and they, they talked about making a second movie, but I don't think the second movie is uh, coming to fruition. But they definitely did keep on with comics. Uh, they make uh, Evie the next uh, V, and she basically continues his work. Hmm. Uh, I think it's V for Vendetta was DC, DC Comics. I think so, too, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. got turned into the movie. I also remember, like, there was a lot of uh, similarities parallels to the count of monte cristo so i wanted to watch that before i watched the new like watch the v friend again but mm-hmm. uh, yeah they referenced that movie a bunch mm-hmm. we started the post but never finished it yes that was also a sub <laughs> what was the post that was uh the meryl streep tom hanks movie about the vietnam war Vietnam. Vietnam. We Uh, watched uh, There Will Be Blood. Oh, yes. I was there for that. I wasn't there either. I remember watching There Will Be Blood on a plane. (laughs) No. I saw There Will Be Blood in in my dorm room. I still haven't watched it. Oh, again, a watch party together. just Just the three of us. You know, because COVID. Well, I only want to be there for the. I imagine this. Oh, I have a milkshake, and you have a milkshake. Have a milkshake, and my straw goes coming. all the way across the room. room. <laughs> I drink, I drink your, your milkshake. <laughs> what the hell? I drink it up. <laughs> oh, you remember every word. That that just that scene. Oh, except and um. When he's in the church with Paul Dano, and he's like, "I lost my boy, I lost my child." <laughs> he's like, and he's like I, being there. I remember a bastard in a basket, a bastard in a basket. He says it like five times. Mm. Oh, fun little fact: uh, Paul Dano is gonna be the new Riddler, and Matt Reeves is Batman. 
Oh, I heard he it wasn't it between him and Jonah Hill. Uh, Jonah Hill was being eyed for Penguin, but that oh. on <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, Jonah Hill was in something recently that I saw. I don't know what. Was it Maniac? It's Maniac. Yeah, yeah, Maniac. Oh, Maniac. Right. That was it. Uh, I know Maniac. Um, House Malone was in a, a Netflix original I saw. Like That's always Mark Wahlberg, right? Yeah, Spencer Confidential. Dude, why is Mark Wahlberg in every single movie about being a cop? I know. The like, Departed. The other guy. Departed. The other guy. Which isn't really cop. But, you know. Like, yeah, it'd be funny if they made him like the next Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> Turn that he's he's like so he's like super Boston and he brings back Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. <laughs> I haven't actually seen sure I've seen the BBC series with uh Benedict Cumberbatch, but I haven't seen the movie with uh Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. I only saw the second one with Robert Downey Jr. There's two? Yeah. Yeah. The oh. Sherlock Holmes and there's Sherlock Holmes Game of Shadows. I saw the uh, scene on YouTube where he's uh, boxing. Discombobulate. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be movies until next year. Yeah, movies like, are going to be really hard to. With the exception of Netflix specials, like they've been, I don't know how they have some shows stone production. Um, like, uh, Witcher. And- I don't know if you guys have seen Witcher, but I recently bought the game for it too. Oh, it's such a good series. It's like uh, it's like a kind of a mix between Game of Thrones and like uh, Lord of the Rings. There's like magic and stuff, but like it's like cynical and stuff. Basically, it's like if the world, like our world and another world, literally mixed and like random monsters from an, a parallel universe. And humans were both dropped into a different world where there's magic and elves and like dwarves and like, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. I still need that. I haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, the only new thing I'm I'm doing Avatar. Please don't please don't come out of me. I didn't watch Avatar a lot growing up, so you didn't watch Avatar at all. I didn't watch it a lot. Yeah, I I really do not recall any. Any bit of Avatar growing up. Avatar. So I'm watching. I'm watching it now with my brother. So many times, strict up. So many times, I grew up with that show. I apologize. I grew up with a regular show. I, I'm also rewatching that. Great. I never Great. watched all regular show, but yeah. I oh yeah, no. I'm 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 onto season. I'm like halfway through season four. I looked at the rest of the seasons. I don't remember any of it. I just remember like seasons up to season four, and that's it. Yeah, the last thing I remember is like Cloudy Jane. Yeah, so. her. Fun fact: Cloudy Jane is voiced by is voiced by Linda Cardellini. Bro, what a goddess! Come on. Oh, she's so cool. Give some credit, Velma. She got Velma. She's got Freaks and Geeks. Mm-hmm. I'm watching uh, right now. Community. Oh, is, uh, I, I, I had, I'd finished Community before quarantine started. I didn't finish it. I stopped watching when Donald Glover left. You are literally Abed. You are actually the manifestation <laughs> of that TV I, I know I know a lot of random stuff, and I, I kind of wish everything was like a movie. But I, yeah, I can draw parallels. I can see that. 
you are actually I, don't, I forget his actor name Dan, uh, Danny Pudi Danny Pudi yeah you're actually Danny Pudi damn uh, Joe McHale's pretty funny in it yeah it's a good show yeah I'm yeah. also I also started New Girl New Girl's good so far New Girl I want to watch uh, well I did watch Space Force how was um, that Steve Carell yeah. it was good it, it was it was pretty funny. Um, it, it's like a kind of like a grown up version of The Office. Yeah. Oh, there's like, like more cursing and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, a little more serious yeah. too. But like, it's like it's hilarious. I thought um, I thought it was more like forced comedy. Oh yeah, that's what I heard. Like some of the reviews were like, "This is like The Office, but like they want it to be like The Office." You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like yeah. it's kind of like the same yeah. thing, but well, in a different it's still, environment. It's still funny. It should go now. I mean, yeah, they went a, a bit for that, but like, not really. Like, if you think about the show independently outside the office, like, it's pretty good. It's just people expected it to be the oh, office. Oh, yeah, because it was like from office creator Greg Daniels and Steve yeah. Carell. Yeah. Oh, man. John Malkovich. You know, I never saw anything with John Malkovich up until uh, uh, Space Force. John Malkovich uh, is I a wild watch. dude. You never- I want to see being John Malkovich. Watch. Hitchhiker's oh he's in Hitchhiker's Guide I didn't even realize all right I seen him in that then. He's in Watch of Mice and Men. No, I have. Is he in yeah, that he too? Plays, uh, who's who's the big guy? Lenny. Lenny, yeah. Lenny. The I didn't even I didn't even know who he was <laughs> to be honest. He's like, can I touch your hair? And the one's like, yeah. And he just ends up strangling her. Oh, spoilers. Ninety-two. All right. Second. Uh, Eddie, I think we're oh, just yeah. about out of time, correct? We were way past the limit, but you know what? That's all right. We were on Okay, because I don't want us to run too far over, you know? No, we're, we're on a journey. It's all right. Yeah. All about the journey, I mean, bro. I'll come, back. I'll come back if you guys want to. That would be yeah. lovely. Yeah, I'll be like Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan's show. He can't get rid of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like next up, next week when we have a different guest, it's like you're, you just like pop in. What's up? Wait, Matt, what? <laughs> yeah. I swear to God, there's like six episodes of Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan's podcast. <laughs> you can't get rid of that guy. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in for uh, listening to this episode. Matt, thank you for being our guest tonight. Thank you very much, Matt. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hope to see you again soon, both in real life and on the podcast. Oh, yeah. I think the world needs more uh, Matthew Ditolo, uh voice in it, you know? Probably, oh, stop if it. You will. I'm flattered. <laughs> I c- we couldn't get enough on the morning announcements. Now we now we have them all to ourselves. Oh, right. yeah. This is the Italian Stallion oh. signing out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I pretend to be a porn star in the announcements. I don't care. <laughs> So, so Matt, I, I hate to say it, I kind of, I kind of did it wrong. It's, I hadn't seen Rocky yet. Well, when the announcement happened, the Italian oh, Stallion was. So, there's two Jake. parts to the Italian Stallion. One is, I think Rocky came out after it, but it did. It did. So, yeah, but he called Rocky in the in the movie is also called the Italian Stallion. So, it's a fifty fifty shot. It depends on the tone. If someone goes, Matt, the Italian Stallion, they're probably referring you to Rocky, but if they're like, Matt, the Italian Stallion, then 
it'd be uh, door number two. Matt puts uh, puts that on his Tinder. But what's so, I'm gonna what, be what's honest. so, what's I'm so gonna funny? be honest. I've never seen Rocky. What's so funny is that I was in class. Uh, one more story. I'm so sorry, but I was quick. <laughs> In class for Miss Hadsel, I had her for creative writing senior year, and you do your thing like, "Oh, this is Matthew Italian Stallion signing out." And Miss Hadsel goes, "Does he even know what that means?" And I'm like, "Yes, but like he means it in like Rocky Balboa sense, you know, most likely." And she goes, "Okay, but does he know what that means?" <laughs> so, yeah. So if you if you according to Wikipedia. There's two instances of the Italian Stallion, a nickname for Rocky Balboa or a 1970 low-budget film uh, starring Sylvester Stallone. Da-da-da-da. Yes. Well, you know what? That's up to your interpretation. You know? I-, I like people using their imagination. That sounded very wrong. Yep. I, think I, <laughs> I think that's a good place to end it. All right. Don't forget uh, to use your imagination, yeah, folks. Grazie. Uh, Andiamo. I'm going back to Italy. Uh, good night. Good luck, Ed Murrow. And thank you for uh, listening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll see you around, Ed and Jake. Bye, Matt. Bye-bye.